A reading from the fourth chapter of Ephesians, beginning with the first verse. I, therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift, Therefore it is said, when he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive. He gave gifts to his people. When he ascended, what does it mean that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the same one who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. The gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ, we must no longer be children tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. The Word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. A reading from the Gospel according to John, the sixth chapter, beginning with the 24th verse. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Very truly I tell you, you were looking for me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For it is on him that God the Father has set his seal. They said to him, What must we do to perform the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, what sign are you going to give us then so that we may see it and believe you? What work are you performing? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, 
It was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. When I was reading the Ephesians text this week that I'm going to largely focus on, and I saw that word patience, I felt proud for a moment that normally I'm a pretty patient dude. Anybody else want to say you're pretty patient? Anybody? Everybody <laughs> say, come on now. You don't leave me hanging out here by myself. I feel like I'm pretty patient, but you know, sometimes the world likes to leap up and correct me. Right? How many of you remember when you were preparing for your driver's test? For some of you, it was just a little while ago, and for some of you, it was a long time ago. But do you remember that? Do you remember being taught how to merge? Well, no wonder, because nobody around here seems to know how to do it right. <laughs> My goodness. Now, here's the other thing I need to know. Were any of you driving in Pineville about April, early May? Anybody? Pineville, North Carolina? So it wasn't y'all, so I can tell this story then. <laughs> I didn't want to end up telling a story about somebody that was sitting in here. You see, I was on the way home from Pineville, and they were tearing the bridge up over I-77, and there's only two ways from North Carolina to South Carolina in York County. On that side, anyway. There's three ways. Myself. One of them was tore up, so you can imagine what it looked like. Well, I decided to take the one that I thought would be least busy, but it was backed up from Rock Hill to South Charlotte. It was not pretty. When I finally got to the other side of Pineville, I realized something. People were getting in the left lane anticipating the merge. Y'all got to quit that. That's not how this driver's book tells you to do it. You do it like a zipper. You space out so the people on the right can get in the groove between the cars, just like when you zip your pants up. So if you want to go home and figure that out, go home and zip something up. Watch how everything happens. That's how you merge. It's a zipper merge. Y'all hear what I'm saying to you? Well, on the north side of Pineville, there was some knucklehead that thought he was going to be the one guy that was going to keep everybody from zipper merging so all the traffic could get somewhere. Y'all know who I'm talking about? That one guy decides to sit in the traffic and go 25 in the right-hand lane so nobody can zipper merge. And he's got traffic black, backed up eight miles. And when I got to him where he was, I said, what is this fool doing? And I remember the Lord saying, don't call people a fool, David. <laughs> and he just proceeded to do it. I honked at him and said, look, man, we all want to come up here to the merge point and get in like we're supposed to. Y'all with me? Man, I was wishing I was a constable with a blue light. I'd have given him a ticket. But what I did instead was I decided to educate him with my car horn, my truck horn, that is. And so he proceeded to block the zipper merge for two miles, and I held my horn down for two miles. <laughs> Me and him are friends. 
normally I'm patient. But when somebody's not doing what they're supposed to, it drives me crazy. Especially if it's costing me time. Then I read that word humility. And normally I'm, I'm pretty humble. I, I feel like I am. But then there are times when I know I'm right when I'm not going to back down. And that's not really being humble, is it? Sometimes when we know we're right, we have to give room for another opinion and be patient enough and, and uh, have enough humility to hear someone and then teach. Humility's hard. It's very hard. Gentleness, man, I got that one down. I hardly ever mean to anybody, and, I, and I'm happy about that, but, but there have been times when I've been mean. And I've got a long fuse. Anybody else gifted with a long fuse? Some of y'all are gifted with short fuses? Yeah. It takes a lot to make me angry, but once I'm angry, well, I just got to go somewhere and be away from people. Bearing with one another in love. Now, that one, it would seem, that one, it would seem, would be easy. But do you know, sometimes bearing with one another in love means that we have to give up something that we want, you know? Time, money, opportunity, being first in line, being last in line. Sometimes we have to give up something that we know is important to us to bear with another person in their circumstances and their hurts. Sometimes we actually have to lay ourselves down in the mud puddle so somebody else can walk over. Sometimes that's what being a person who bears someone in love means. It means that you allow them to be carried by you. To actually want you to lift them up and carry them. And that takes the humility and the patience and all the other things that the author has said before. And then he says to make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. I see great shortage of all of these things in our society today. I make a joke about patience because it's funny. Listen, I was going somewhere one day and I was in a hurry and I realized I was doing 80 on the interstate with my collar on, so I took the collar off. I didn't slow down. <laughs> I think about those things when I read texts like this and I, and I think about how those things are emblematic of our society right now. We're all in a big friggin' hurry to go nowhere. And we're all in a big panic about things that seem overwhelming but if we would all just step back and look to each other and say how can I lift you instead of elevating myself most of the problems that our society has would go away overnight if people were living diligently with patience with gentleness bearing others burdens in love making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, then most of the problems that plague us would disappear in the very short term. But that's not what people are looking for. People are looking for a politician to solve our problems so we get worked up about who to vote for, when really if we were as worked up about who people are following as we are about who they're voting for, 
if we were as worked up about telling people about Jesus and what he can do for the world as we are about whether a Republican or a Democrat won a presidential election, this world would change. It just would. There's no doubt in my mind that if the people of Christ were as worried about people knowing Christ as they are about who people are voting for or what they're giving to, the world would be different. I believe that the more people that know Jesus Christ the Savior, the better the world gets. Does that seem like a valid equation to you, church? Does it? It just does, doesn't it? Your experience of Jesus and who He has made you to be, and when you think about the life that you've been called to through Him, what you've experienced in yourself and the change in yourself, doesn't it make sense to you that the more people in our community who knew Christ, the better our community would be? I firmly believe that we must help and serve the weak and the poor and all of those who need that help, but we can't fix everything with money. Sometimes people need the one who can take their hand and lift them out of the mire and the muck that they are stuck in and put them on the firm ground of grace. Because the reason most people struggle is because they believe that they're not worthy of not struggling. Many people in this world struggle because they were never, ever loved by anyone. Church, you have the power to change that because you serve the one who is love itself. Within you is the love of Christ. Remember last week we were told that we're being rooted and grounded in love. A specific love. The self-giving love of Jesus Christ who loved you enough though you were an enemy of God to die for you. What does Paul say in Romans? He demonstrates His love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. And here... The writer of Ephesians challenges us to live a life worthy of that calling. That calling, that drawing of you. In Methodism, we call it provenient grace. It's the whisper of the Holy Spirit into your life that brought you here in the first place. It's the whisper of the Holy Spirit that prepared you to hear the good news of Jesus and respond and live. It's the whisper of the Holy Spirit that's being echoed into every heart in this world waiting for someone to come to them and love them and affirm that that voice is real. And so the writer tells us, listen, don't do all these things so you're worthy of the calling. That's not what he's saying. He's not telling us to get our lives together so that we're worthy of Christ calling us. He's telling us Christ has called you. Live a life worthy of that. Live a life that looks like you're responding to the grace that Jesus has poured out in your life. It's an equation to what you have experienced. Which means that probably instead of beeping my horn at the idiot in Pineville, I should have prayed for him. I could have spent that same time praying for that man. Not that he would come around to my way of thinking, but praying about his life. I could have glanced to the cars around me and prayed for each person by face. 
but I was ready to get home. And so I focused on my own needs. Instead of being open to the possibility that I was being presented with a time to slow down and focus on something other than myself. But that's hard. How do we know that's hard? We have the people of Israel to teach us that that's hard. Remember that story how they came out of slavery to sin, or slavery to Egypt, excuse me? Remember that? Ten Commandments, we covered that last time. Y'all said you'd seen it, remember? Come on, somebody say yeah. We're going to have a movie screening. Nobody ever says they've seen that movie. I don't know how in the world people haven't seen that movie. Charlton Heston, Big Rocks. So, in Sunday school, you learn a lot of things. But in seminary, I learned something that my Sunday school never taught me. And it was about the word manna. Now, when the children of Israel first saw the stuff, they didn't know what to think about it. You know, they'd been grumbling. They've been... Freed from Egypt, but they started grumbling and longing for the flesh pots, the leftover stuff from the animals that were, was baked around. I believe down here y'all call that a pudding pot, right? They started longing for that and for the onions and the garlic back in Egypt. They wanted to go back to slavery for the food that they had. And they were grumbling. And Moses prayed to God about it and God sent some quail to them. And you might remember the next morning there was a white flaky stuff on the ground. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm going to read the story to you. It goes like this. I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening quail came and covered the camp and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, the flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is this? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Each one is to gather as much as he needs. Take an omar for each person you have in your tent. And they called it, What is it? which loosely translated in back into Hebrew as manu, or manna, as we say. But didn't you think manna was going to mean something cooler than what is it? <laughs> I mean, when I was sitting in pastoral care class and Dr. Everett said that, he said manna, it means what the heck is this stuff? I thought it was funny. I thought he was telling a joke, but he was serious. I needed that to be a much more technical term, but that's the embrace that we have with the mystery of God. What is this? And they found that it was for their nourishment and grace because they were on a journey and they needed to be nourished for a journey, right? You're going to drive somewhere with kids. You better have snacks in the car. Same thing. You know, they're on a journey. They need to be sustained. And so God sends them sustenance for the journey. Meal that can keep them going. Something that can prolong their life as they walk and walk and walk and walk. And it was called Manu. What is this? This life that's been lifted up to us, I don't mind telling you, I think is hard. When I read it, this idea of being humble all the time, of being gentle, of being patient, bearing with everybody love. Don't you know that there are just some people that you'd rather stomp than love? It's not easy. But that's the kind of life that's worth demonstrating. 
Because it demonstrates what Christ has done for us. It's our witness to the world of the work that Christ is doing us. And it's a journey. And how do I know that? Because the author said that He chose us before the foundation of the world. That there was a beginning for us. And that the end is that we keep growing into maturity into Christ so that we become like Christ and become, become a living billboard, a living signpost, a living evidence of grace in the world and that we are being nurtured for that by the grace of God. He's not calling us to something that's impossible. He's calling us to something that's possible because we've been called by God into God's own life. And there's food for that journey. And that's what's presented to us in John 6. When Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He said, I'm the bread of life because bread was their staple dish. Wheat came from the ground. They made bread of it. It was the primary thing they ate. If Jesus had been Asian, he would have said rice. If he'd been Southern, he would have said fried chicken. It's that kind of thing. The bread of life that sustains life. Jesus is sent to sustain our life for this journey. And what I had hoped would have happened this month is that we all would have celebrated the meal that Jesus gave us for that grace. But I didn't have it all quite worked out. And to be honest with you, I can't have the sacrament look like a hot mess. You know what I mean? Because it's serious business. The word and table service that we do, the gifting of the bread and the cup, the giving of the presence of Christ is serious business. It gives us the grace that we need to do exactly what's being asked of us here in Ephesians. To live a life that's worthy of the calling of Christ. That's worthy of having been called by Him. Not makes you worthy to be called. You're already called. You've already been chosen before the foundation of the world. There's no point in which you need to make yourself worthy of God's love or worth what Christ did for you. Christ decided that you were worth it and so you're worth it. That account is settled. The question is, will our life look like a people who've had that done for them? Have you ever received a gift that made you truly grateful? from an unexpected person. If you have, then you know in that moment, for a little while, you treated that person differently because you knew that they had thought of you in a way that looks like love. What we learn in the meal that Christ gives us is that God has acted in a way that is love for us and it propels us to love God back by living for others so that others can know the beauty of Christ. And that's why the life that is worthy of the calling of Christ is a life filled with humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with other people and making every effort to preserve the unity of the church as a sign to the world that we don't have to be divided by all the stupid things that the world says we have to be divided by. Christ is calling us to something different. And His promise to us is that He will breathe the bread of life for us to sustain us for the journey of becoming more and more and more like Him. And so the writer says... 
By speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. We are made into the body of Christ as we walk together, love together, serve together, receive Holy Communion together, drink and eat the bread, body, and blood of Christ, and become like Christ. We become His body on the earth, His hands and feet for the purpose of of loving those whom God has loved. That's our calling. We've been called by Christ to come and be changed. It's exactly what was said to us in chapter 2 of this text. Very famous verse. You've probably heard it before. Ephesians 2.8. I'm going to read to you through verse 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are what He has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. Living a life worthy of the calling doesn't mean making yourself worthy of God's love or God's salvation. It means living as if you know God's love and God's salvation. And so Martin Luther wrote this about that. This life, therefore, is not godliness, but the process of becoming godly. Not health, but getting well. Not being, but becoming. Not rest, but exercise. We are not what we shall be, but we are on the way. The process is not yet finished, but it is actively going on. This is not the goal, but it is the right road. At present, everything does not gleam and sparkle, but everything is being cleansed. Everything is being cleansed. If you examine your life as you heard this text from Ephesians, and you think, man, I'm hardly ever patient, I'm certainly not gentle. There's hope for you. The more you follow Christ, the more you will be like Christ. And the more others will see Christ in you. That's our calling, people. To demonstrate the love of God in the world. I know you know this because I've seen you do it this week for Edie's family and for Dalton's family. And the more you do that, the more lives will be changed. The more you bear others up in love, the more the grace of Christ will be known. This is the work that we are called to. And the meal that Jesus gave us, which we will celebrate together on the first Sunday of September, nurtures us and nourishes us for that journey. He does not leave us alone or call us to walk without a happy meal in our pocket. But He comes to meet us and feed us and equip us and show us the way. And for that I say thank you, Lord. Amen.